Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. But welcome Thrive Church. How is everyone this morning? Good deal, man. Good to be with you guys today. Um, don't forget our 101 and 301, The Path. If you've not connected with our 101 yet, make sure you do that. It's called First Step. So what's your first step at Thrive? It's 101 in the cafe right after our worship experience. And Pastor Keith will be sharing today, I, I'm, I'll be going to Richmond today, so he'll be sharing the mission, vision, and values of Thrive. And that's your first step. So if you're new at Thrive, please make sure you're there. We'll have food for you as well. So if you're like, I'm going to be hungry, that's okay. we got it covered. you got children, we've got that covered too. We have child care. And today is also 301 membership. If you've been through our 101 um, uh, class and, and uh, been through the first step, then big step is membership. That will be in our youth room today and we'll be um, having membership. So hopefully if you guys want to connect with us on that, you can do that. And then one final quick announcement is this Wednesday, we just finished a series on cults. We have also church on Wednesdays at seven and we did four weeks in a series on cults. And uh, this week we're going to start a six week marriage series. You're like, well, I'm not married. I can't come. The best time to learn about marriage is not when you end the marriage, right? <laughs> it's before you get into it. Um, some of you are saying, well, I don't want to be married. Um, that's fine. You got friends that are married that need your advice. Aren't you tired of them complaining and you have no advice to give them, right? So you can come Wednesdays at seven. We'll be doing a series um, on marriage, the grace-filled marriage, and look forward to having you guys uh, here for that. Well, today we kick off our Purple People Leader Series. Um, every summer, we do a, a focus on a book of the Bible. Um, my, my first summer here, we did the book of Acts. The second summer, we did Philippians. Last year, we did Ephesians. And now this year, we're doing verse by verse through the book of First Timothy. And we're going to look at what it means to be a Purple People Leader. Um, let me ask you a question. Did anybody read the passage for this week before they got here to church? Did anybody do that? Okay, I saw some hands go up over here. Jamal, catch. Woo, look at that. Mr. Jim, look at that. Who else read it? Over here, over here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Anybody else? In the very back. I'm going to try to hit the back. You ready? You ready? Belinda, I'm so sorry. You got your free, oh, free purple people leader t-shirts today. I have mine on. And we're going to look over the next several weeks. Next week with our baptism bash, we'll take a little break from that as I teach on uh, devoted followers of Christ. But we're going to look at the next several weeks, verse by verse, through the book of 1 Timothy. And what you're going to see is, is a young man named Timothy that the Apostle Paul wrote to. He raised up Timothy, he mentored Timothy, and he poured his life into this young leader. And Timothy literally was a, a purple people leader. Now, why did we choose this title? Let me ask you a question. Um, did anybody grow up in the South? Right, good. The, the real South, okay? So north of James River is like, you, you're, you're kind of cutting it close there. I'm, I'm joking. Um, with that. Well, I grew up in the South and cows were a dime a dozen, right? You didn't think much about it. You drove by fields. And when you saw cows, you were accustomed to seeing a black cow or a black and white cow or a brown and white cow. I mean, there were just, you know, different colors. Let me ask you a question. If you drove by a field and you saw a bright purple cow, what would you do? You would stop. You would take pictures. You would Instagram it. You would Facebook it. You would tweet it. You would tell everyone. You would probably even try to get a selfie with that cow if you're brave enough, right? And why would you do that? 
because that cow stands out. That cow sticks out. And in the same way, I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be a purple cow to our culture, to stand out in love and to stick out and make a difference for Jesus. And if you will, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word today, if you have that with you, to 1 Timothy 1, 1, and we're going to read the first 20 verses, and I'm going to walk through um, what it means to stand out and stand up for Christ. Now, before I I get into it, quickly know that Timothy here, backdrop, is pastoring the largest church in Asia Minor in the first century. The Apostle Paul sent him to Ephesus, and you're going to read here in a second, the Apostle Paul sent him to Ephesus to straighten some folks out. Like, gee, thanks, Paul. (laughs) Appreciate it. And so Timothy is a young leader. We don't know whether by age or just by years. Um, Some commentators debate on that. But we do know Paul calls him young. So whether it's experience or whether it's age, we're not 100% sure. But we do know that Timothy felt ill-equipped. Timothy was a fearful type individual, if you read the book of 2 Timothy. He also had um, physical problems. He had stomach ailments, things of that nature. And he was a leader that felt like he was unequipped and ill equipped to do the job. And he had a tough situation ahead of him. The largest church in Asia Minor, this was his first pastorate. And there was some junk going on in the church. And as you read this, I want you to realize that Paul was writing to Timothy about the church at Ephesus, not to Rome. Okay? Not to to, to Israel, not to Asia Minor. This is to the church people. So before you start pointing fingers at people that are not followers of Christ, this is for us. This is for them that were followers of Christ. As we read this, I'm going to walk slowly with you and try to explain some things here. Verse 1 says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by the command of of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Remember that he picked Timothy up in Lystra and Derbe and and found him there, circumcised him and took him with him on on the journeys. And so he called him a true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace, which was a theme of uh, many of Paul's uh, introductions to his letters. Verse 3 says, when I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. So he had a mission. In the church at Ephesus, there were people in the church that were teaching things that were contrary to truth. Now, Paul expounds on that. What was, what were they teaching? What was going on? Let's look at that. Verse 4 says, don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Now, you got to realize the backdrop. You had Greece, right? Greeks. And many people in Ephesus were, Ephesus were either Greeks or they were Jews. The Greeks believed in mythology and so they would try to mix Jesus and mythology together. Kind of like pluralism or universalism. And they would mix it all together, stir it up and say, yeah, yeah, it all kind of goes together. And they would discuss these myths. And Paul says, that's ridiculous, guys. Stop it. And then you had Jews that were discussing spiritual pedigrees. Well, you know, I was from the stock of the tribe of, uh, tribe of Benjamin and I'm, you know, I did this. You know, and, and you had people that were jockeying for position in the church and teaching things that were contrary to truth. Uh, You had Greeks and you had Jews there in Ephesus. And if you remember Ephesus, it was a very wicked place. Very wicked. And we'll explain that in a little bit. 
So why did Paul say don't do it? And here's why. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Let me tell you something. There are people, and I have encountered these folks, and I don't, there's none in here at Thrive. I, I can tell you that wholeheartedly, and I'm being real. I've been at places before, and they usually don't last long at Thrive, because they will come and say, let me tell you, what was Leviathan and Job? What I think it was, and they'll go on this long discussion about Leviathan and Job, or the Nephilim in Genesis 5. And it's like, and they're not really living for God. And they're, 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 they're wrapped up in speculations about Scripture and speculations. It doesn't help you live a life of faith in God. And I'm going to tell you something, Thrive, at the end of the day, I want to help you live a life of faith in God. To live out your faith as you look at the Scriptures. And you get people, even in Christendom, that love, I mean, it's like entertainment for them. They, they, they love the charts and the end times. You know why they love it so much? Because they, they want entertainment. They've not shared Jesus with anybody that week because they believe it. They want entertainment. And that's what was happening here. They wanted to speculate. And what was this? And what was that? And Zeus? And how does this fit? And, and Paul says, man, it doesn't help you live a life of faith in God. Look at verse 5. Paul says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. A conscience, a clear conscience is key in First and Second Timothy, and you'll see more about that as we go on in the coming weeks. But some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, that's the Jews, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Have you met anybody like that before? You met those folks? Aren't they hard to listen to? Like you're sitting around you know, at work or something and they're like talking about stuff they have no idea about but they're so confident in it and like they're totally wrong. That kills me with sports. There's people who talk about sports a lot and have no clue and they're like, and you're just, they're just killing you. You're like, man, you are, it's like sandpaper on my face listening to you talk. Oh. Verse 8 says, we know that the law is good. That's the law of Moses. That's the commandments in the Old Testament. He's speaking to the Jews here. The law is good when it's used correctly. For the law was not intended for people uh, who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious. Who are ungodly and sinful. Who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy. Who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral. Who practice homosexuality or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts wholesome teaching, the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. This is Paul. Now watch what Paul does here. I love this. He takes a praise break. Like Paul's like talking, he's getting intent about, yeah, and that's what the law's for, and it helps me. Ah, and he's this whole, Paul starts talking about how Jesus touched his life. He does this many times in his letters. But watch this here. Verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but 
God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Isn't that our story too? Thank God he had mercy on me when I did what I did. When I, I used to persecute Christians. I used to beat them up. I used to laugh at Christians. I used to, at school, in high school, I was a kid who was always picking on them. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. And so Paul's just so excited. He says in verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds to that, and I am worst of them all. If you don't know actually how bad you really are, some of y'all think you're really great, just awesome, and that God's impressed with you. Sometimes you need to realize that, man, you need to realize where he brought you from. And it's by his grace and mercy where he brought you from. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners. The others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and all glory to God forever and ever. He is the king, eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And Paul says, amen. Like Paul's excited. So Paul's like, can I get a witness? Amen. And you know, as you're reading that, I guess they had to say amen. Uh, verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. Please don't forget that. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And look at verse 20, and we're going to look at this in a few minutes. But he says, Hymenius and Alexander are two examples. Now watch this. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme God. Somebody say, wow. Wow. We're going to look at that in a little bit. I don't want to talk about that portion too much. We're going to break this down. But here's the big idea of this passage. If you had to take one point away, here's the one point. If you want to stand out, it's going to cost you something. Timothy was going into a situation where he had to tell people, stop it. Quit it. No. He even had the example of Paul chunking a couple of jokers out of the church. So Ephesus was really in a tough situation and Timothy had to stand out, but it had to cost him something. It was not an easy task to go into Ephesus and straighten everything out. Don't you realize this? No one is ever remembered for being mediocre. No one is ever remembered for being mediocre, right? Let me, let me ask you a question. Who was the third baseman? On the Seattle Mariners in 1979. None of you know because he was mediocre. <laughs> if I asked you who was the outfielder on their team in 1993, hopefully you could tell me Ken Griffey Jr. If I asked you who was the leading scorer all time in the NBA, you could tell me, right? What if I asked you who's number eight all time? You probably couldn't tell me. Who's number 15 all the time? See, you got to realize something. Nobody is remembered for being mediocre. I watched a movie recently called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Did anybody watch that? You heathens watching movies. What is wrong with you folks? I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm going to get y'all. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty it was a great movie because it had this guy who, Ben Stiller, and who was Walter Mitty, and he had this life he didn't like. 
He was mediocre. He went to work, he punched a time clock, and he always dreamed about doing great stuff. He dreamed about approaching the girl. He dreamed about going up to the boss and telling him what he thinks. He dreamed about doing all these things, but he never did it. And then one day, water snapped. (laughs) And water was like Popeye. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand some more. Dude goes to Iceland to find this girl and jumps out of a helicopter into the ocean. And he finally finds the girl, and the story ends great. But, it, but, but Walter Mitty, Mitty got tired of being mediocre. And I hope for many of us today, we just get tired of being mediocre. Living mediocre lives, doing mediocre things. And we'll say, you know what? I want to stand out, and I want to stick out for the Lord. I want to do something for him that matters. And I know it's going to cost me something if I do that. And anyone who's ever made a difference, guys, did two things. They stood out with a radical faith to help other people. And they made a great sacrifice. They had a radical faith that helped others. And they made a great sacrifice. They made a great sacrifice. See, your calling, what is my purpose? I hear it so much. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Because we think purpose is something that you graduate to and you finish a class and now you have your purpose or you start doing something. Jesus said our purpose as followers of, of him are to be salt and to be light. To be salt and to be light. I hate food without salt. The number one thing that bad chefs do is they don't put enough salt on their food. Right? You ever had chicken with no salt? How bad is it? See, salt gives flavor. Salt preserves. And that's what we're meant to do in our culture and society. Light affects the darkness. And Jesus said, I want you to be someone who affects anything that comes in contact with. When light enters darkness, it affects it. When salt hits food, it affects it. And Jesus said, your purpose is anywhere you go, whatever you find yourself doing, be salt and be light. Just please don't be mediocre in whatever you do. Stick out and stand out. And today I'm I'm saying this and some of you are like, you know what? I'm too old to be a purple people leader. I'm past my prime. Let me tell you, Caleb took a mountain when he was really, really old in the Old Testament. Went and fought a battle and took a mountain. You're not too old. Some of you are saying, I'm too young. I'm just a high school student. I'm just trying to finish calculus or algebra. (laughs) This is hard. Let me tell you that Mary was a teenager when she had to raise Jesus, the Son of God, and face persecution for that. Some of you are like, man, I don't have my act together. This sounds so good, but I'm just not holy enough, Kevin. You don't know me. I don't know enough of the Bible. Um, man, I still mess up. I do this. I do that. And, and, and you're at this place. You're like, I'm just not there. Can I tell you that if you read the Bible, nobody was there? That's a beautiful thing about Scripture. And if you get there, then you're probably just proud you really didn't arrive. And then some of you are saying, Kevin, this sounds good, but I'm not called to ministry, and I am not a preacher. Every one of you called to ministry. Because ministry is what you do with your life. Ministry is not what I do from the stage. This is called church ministry. But some of you have education ministry and business ministry and family ministry. And you have arts and entertainment ministry. And you, listen to me, are all called to ministry. Ministry is where you find yourself and what you find yourself doing. Stick out and stand out for the Lord. So here's three things that a purple people leader does. Three things. 
As we just said, number one, they stand out. They stand out. And Paul shares with Timothy in those verses there. He says, you know what? I remember when God called me out. I remember when the Lord put his hand on me. He called him out. In the same way, he reminds Timothy, and I love this, in 2 Timothy 1.5, which is the next book, the sequel that Paul wrote to Timothy. Some people need two letters, right? Like some folks just get one, other folks need two. People like Alan need two letters written to them, not just one, right? He says in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith that continues strong in you. He was telling Timothy, be reminded you're my true son in the faith. You're called to stand out. You're called to something greater than what you're living. And can I tell you today, there are many of you today that are called to something greater than what you're actually living. There are gifts locked up inside of you that are dormant. God has purposes for you in his kingdom that you've not even engaged in. You're called to stand out. You're called to stand out. And here's what standing out doesn't mean. It doesn't mean being loud and boisterous at your job. Bless the Lord. Woo! Jesus so is good. I'm blessed and highly favored today. Um, don't walk in your job doing that because some of us aren't morning people and you walk in doing that. We, we are actually praying the Lord would strike you down as you're doing that. You know, if somebody says, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. He says, that's right. I'm hungry for Jesus. Wait for opportunities. Wait for opportunities for the doors to open. Don't go trying to kick every door down for Jesus at your job. You know, I appreciate your, your zealousness, but I had people like that, and they drove me crazy, and I was a Christian. I was like, I, Lord, please. I mean, I, you know, I've never prayed for somebody to go mute, but, but I'm, 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 I may even do that. Be patient and wait for opportunities when they arise there. Um, standing out doesn't mean you're a weird cloud nine Christian either. Like you walk in and you're like, oh, I was carried to the third heaven this weekend. I saw Jesus. He come down off a cloud and he grabbed my hand and people were like, what in the world is wrong with you? I want what you're smoking. That's what, that's what they're saying to you. Your friends aren't believers? Whatever you're having, bartender, hook me up. Because, I mean, this is crazy. And I've met people like that, man. They always have you know, crazy things they're doing. They see angels all the time. And, and your friends at work are, like, avoiding you. It's like, hey, man, where you guys going to lunch that day? It's like, uh, we're going to eat. Where are you going? Places got food. Maybe they're not inviting you because of that. Uh, standing out doesn't mean separating from everyone either. See, uh, if you, you know, when I first got saved, I said grew up, I got saved at 20 years old. I was told by the preacher to get rid of all your sinner friends. Don't have any sinner friends. The body, get rid of all them people don't know Jesus. And then when revival will come around, invite all your friends that don't know Jesus. I'm like, I don't have any, bro. <laughs> I have gotten rid of them every day or every Sunday this year and I don't have any more. So standing out for the Lord doesn't mean that you're going to, to separate from everyone and you're just better than they are. And oh, you can't, you know, you need to learn to engage people where they're at. And again, salt and light are only good when they affect darkness or they affect the, the, the substance that they're touching. Here's what it does mean. You are separated to stand out, but you're not separate. The purple cows in the field with other cows, you're called to do that. Your love and compassion for others should help you stand out. 
The world does not have true love and compassion. And your love and compassion for people, that you care about people, should help you stand out. Where people say, I don't know what it is that you have, but I want what you have. Because you have a care for people that nobody else has. And you are willing to mingle and be with people far from God. Oh, my job, man, they, they, they just cuss too much. They just do this. Most of them are not believers. They don't know any better. The worst thing we've done as, as Christians, and some of you can, can preach this better than me because you grew up in the generation that the, you need to stop this, you need to stop that, and stop this. But they never told people far from God, you need to meet Jesus. My dad was told that, Danny, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop this. And then the preacher would, when my dad went to church, he would single him out. It was a small country church. Now, I heard my dad, um, when he would drink with friends and stuff, talk about those experiences. That blanking preacher told me I need to stop this and that. I'm going to got something for him. But he was never told, you need to meet Jesus. You need to be introduced to Jesus. Jesus will change you. Jesus loves you. Jesus can transform you. Friends, if you're at, a work, at, at work and everybody around you does not know the Lord, you're at the very place God wants you to be at. Go be Jesus to them. You're called to mingle with them. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. And that day they were the worst. And he hung out with prostitutes and sinners to see them transform. Do you know what non-saved people do? They do what non-saved people do. (laughs) Don't ever expect an unbeliever to live like a believer. Because the only way that you can even live for the Lord is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because you're so darn morally good. If you're trusting in your morals and your values and how good I am and I don't do this, don't do that, then you're a Pharisee. Because the, 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 the gospel is I am totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit for anything good that I do comes from him. It does not come from me. And the sad thing is, is we want people who are not believers to act like believers and they don't even, have, don't even know Jesus yet. So stand out, man. Wherever you're at, stand out. Be loving, compassionate, mingle with them. Um, be different than the crowd, but stand out. Here's the second thing you'll have to do if you'll be a purple people leader. And it's to stand up. It's to stand up. Look at verse 3. Paul says, when I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those teaching was contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in meaningless, uh, endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. And Paul tells Timothy, these things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Standing up is when sometimes there's believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers. Unsaved people act like unsaved people, don't they? Paul's speaking to believers. And sometimes you need to help your friend out. The saying, well, you know, I know, I feel, think, and believe all this is okay. You need to just crack the Bible up and say, I, I know you feel, think, and believe that. Because somebody on TV, you know, tricked you didn't believe in that. And, and, and you believe popular media and you don't want to be unpopular. But here's what the Bible says about this. And help a brother out, man. Help a sister out. Go sit down with them in the faith and show them what the Word of God says. Stop them speaking things contrary to the truth because they may not know. And that's not judging them because Paul would have been the most judgmental Christian ever because he was like, man, shut those people up. Help them understand what really matters in the faith. And standing up is not fun. It means you may have to say what is hard to somebody and you may lose some friends. Standing up means you may have to correct a a fellow brother or sister in Christ. 
And standing up means you also need to proactively teach your children and teach your family instead of letting others do it. See, when, when, when I played in a, in a Christian punk band, we played in some of the worst places. And I told you about some of the places in America. I'll never forget, we went and played a show in Roseland, Oregon. Still goes to like, it's like the epic show of all time. Like it was like the greatest show. Because we were packed, 275 kids, you know, teenagers, packed into a room. We had a corner of a stage to play on. And we're sitting there like, you know, it was sweaty. It was bad. I mean, the kids were getting into the music. It was great, man. And then I stopped and shared the gospel. I gave a clear-cut gospel presentation. Hey, man, I said, some of you guys don't believe in Jesus here, but Jesus changed my life. And you may hate Jesus and hate religion, but I'm telling you something. He means a lot to me, and this is why I do what I do, and this is why we do what we do. If you're interested in learning more about Jesus, talk to us after the show. Now, that doesn't seem very controversial, does it? After the show, my friend Nate come to me. Nate said, Kevin, he said, these kids hate religion and hate Jesus. That was his ministry, throwing shows and putting Christian bands in there with non-Christian bands. He said, they hate Jesus. He says, and any other band that's come kind of just throws Jesus out there and keeps going or they won't talk about it. He said, they were hungry when you were talking about Jesus. Thank you for standing up and saying something for the Lord. This is why I do what I do in throwing these shows. I'll never forget that. I was able to stand up in the middle of that and and risk kids not buying our CDs, not buying our T-shirts. Because that's how we made money as a band. I mean, we're in Oregon, folks. Oregon is, is not, you know, a couple hours away. It's a long ways away when you're early 20s away from home. Here's the third and final point today. Purple people leaders stand against. And this is the thing that's not fun. They stand against. And I want you to look at uh, verse 20 out of uh, 18 and 20. It says, Hymenius and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they may, might learn not to blaspheme God. Paul went UFC, WWF, ESPN, Friday Night Fights, and told these two guys, get out because you're trying to destroy the people of God. That's Paul, y'all. I said, that's Paul, y'all. We're this, 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 this laissez-faire Christian. Don't be judging people. We, the Bible says don't judge. It, uh, it also says a lot more than that too. So if you can quote that, please quote the rest of scripture. Don't show your ignorance by quoting that one thing. Because Paul had to judge these guys and said, you're trying to destroy people. You're trying to, to, you're blaspheming God in the church. You're teaching things that are destroying people. And the best thing you can do, Hymenius Alexander, is leave. Don't that seem mean? That's, don't look at me like that. That's Paul. I hadn't done that to anybody, man. Come on, y'all. That's Paul. That's who he's called. He used to be Saul. Now he's called Paul. Y'all, isn't that cool? Got some rhymes going there. Some of y'all look at me like, man, like, like I did that. Paul, he did that. He had to stand against that. I remember when I was working at a concrete company, and that was really my, my first ministry. And you'll, you know, you hear about that is when the Lord told me, this is your congregation. These are your people and your life's a sermon. And I remember working for this concrete company, my dad's company, and I was sitting there one day reading the Bible over break. And I lived for the Lord. I didn't engage in premarital sex, didn't engage in drinking and clubbing and all that stuff. And um, one of the guys saw me read my Bible. And he starts laughing at me. Um, and excuse my language, he was just kind of like, like, a, like a redneck guy. I mean, he's just, you know, that's, everybody kind of called him. What you doing over there, man? 
reading that Bible, and he asked me, and, and this is what he said. He said, let me tell you something, man. Tell you what life's really about. It's going and getting you some. That's what he said to me. This is real life. You want to work in Christian organizations. This is what I had to stand up for my faith in. And he started getting all the drivers in the room and laughing at me and making fun of me because I didn't go out and participate in those activities. And even a deacon at a church joined in. A preacher who stole money and slept with women all the time joined in. Started laughing at me, picking on me. I was like, guys, I'm going to tell you, man. And, and they kept going and going. And the guy started cussing at me and, and doing all this. He was a real tough guy. I, thankfully, my, my dad is so awesome. He cussed him out so many times. He was a terrible employee. <laughs> I didn't do it. But that guy was doing that. I'm going to tell you what I did, guys. I was so grieved when Christians began to join in. I got on my knees right there in that break room. As they were all joined around, I said, Lord Jesus, I pray for these men right now. And I pray you'd open their eyes to the gospel. For God, they're doing this in ignorance and unbelief. And God, I ask that you would just touch their life. And I pray, God, that you would reveal. And I'm going to tell you something. That room cleared out, guys. <laughs> cleared out. And, and the one guy come back, he's like, I'm an effing Christian. That's what he said to me. You can fill in the blank. Don't go that far with your mind, so you need to say holy. And I said, I said, Dwight, if you were a Christian, you would never use language like that, brother. And you would never have teachings contrary to the Bible. You're not a believer, and you need to repent and confess Jesus is your Lord. He loves you. He wants to save you. And if you're willing to have that conversation, brother, I'm, he slammed that door as hard as he can and walked out. And I'm left there in this break room with Henry. I close with this. Henry sat in there, and Henry knew me. He knew when I should go up behind the, the rock piles and smoke dope at work. I'd smoke some blunts and come back and drive the front end letter. He used to laugh about it. Henry uh, used to party with my dad back when they first started that company. And I sat there, and Henry really didn't know what to say because he really liked me, but he lived so far from God. I mean, so far from God. And Henry was sitting there kind of sheepishly, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I said, Henry, I just want to tell you, man, 1 Corinthians 7 says this. And I went through what it says about sexuality and for the believer. I said, you know what I used to live like, don't you? He said, yeah. He said, man, I don't know what happened to you, man. He said, I ain't never seen anything like it. I said, Henry, Jesus changed me, man. Jesus changed me. I want you to realize this today, guys. The Lord wants you to be a purple people leader. There are guys who have given their life to Jesus at that job. I come back to them and say, thank you. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior because you had shoveling in a pit with guys, man, sweating hours, talking about what the Lord's done for my life. And those guys now follow Jesus. And that's not a concrete company. The Lord wants you to be a purple people leader. There's times you've got to stand out. There's times you've got to stand up. And there are some times you've got to stand against as believers. We don't like to talk about that in this politically correct America that we live in. But if you're going to make impact for the gospel, you're going to have. Listen, what makes you valuable is your differences, not your similarity. Stand out for the Lord. Let me, let me pray today. If you will stand to your feet. As you stand to your feet today, I just want to pray for some of you in here. I know that, that, that some of you are in situations where you're surrounded by people and you're surrounded by uh, circumstances that are contrary to the faith. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes in here today. And your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Kevin, 
I really believe I'm called to be like Timothy. I'm called to be like that purple cow. But I need courage to stand up, stand out, and stand against. I need courage to do the things you're talking about. I need the boldness that you're talking about. Some of you today know that the Lord's asking you to stop being mediocre. Stop being water midi. Today, you want me to pray for you because you want to stand out for the Lord. In other situations, you need to stand up, stand out, or stand against. Just lift your hands. That's me, Kevin. Pray for me. Amen. Pray for me. Pray for me. Amen. I want to pray for you right where you're standing right now with your hand lifted. Father, today we ask for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to fill us, baptize us, to cleanse us, to help us, Lord God, to be the generation that will stand out for you, Lord Jesus. Just to be a purple cow in the middle of a perverse generation. Help us to be those that love and have conversations and will hang out with those who are far from you, Lord God. Help us to genuinely care for them. I pray for every person in here right now. You know the situation that they're in. You know what they're having to, to stand against. You know how hard it is, Lord. Jesus, you were betrayed and rejected by the very people and the things you created. You came to earth and we rejected you. We crucified you. And you stood strong through all of it. And now we have salvation because of that. I pray today that every person in this church, Lord, would feel empowered as they leave, God to be that that purple people leader, to, to be transformed, to stand up, to stand out and stand against. And Father, we can only do that if you help us do this. We can't do it in our own strength and our own flesh. We need you today to empower us. Friends, today as the worship team leads, I want you to take a sacred moment with the Lord in accordance to this message today. And as they lead, I want you just to, you can lift your heart, your hands, you can sit, kneel, stand, whatever you want to do. I want you to take a moment right where you're at and ask the Lord personally to help you be a purple people leader. God, help me to stand up, stand out, and stand against. Help me to make a difference. As they sing, I want you to worship the Lord in this place and ask God to do that in your heart.